0: Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1, and then verses 13 to 25. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become servants to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. Have you ever devoured something? I mean, like the kind of devouring that happens when it's your favorite meal and you just attack it. And there is absolutely nothing left. And then at the very end, you lick the plate clean. I'm talking about that kind of devouring. Have you ever devoured something before? Now, the thing about completely consuming something like that is that it doesn't happen all at once, does it? Does it? Like, I'm not going to eat this whole bag of chips in a single bite, am I? Anyone want to see me try? (laughs) See, when we devour something, when we completely consume it until there's nothing left, we do it bite by bite by bite. And then not all at once, but eventually eventually, there's nothing left. Excuse me. (laughs) So our New Testament lesson this morning comes from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he helped plant in an area of the Roman Empire called Galatia. Now, if you're not familiar with the life of the Apostle Paul... Paul's a pretty interesting guy. He started off his life being what you might call a religious zealot, which means that he believed that things were done a certain way, and if you didn't believe in his certain way of doing things, he had a great way of showing you how he felt, which is that he would kill you. Or, rather, he would have an angry mob kill you so that he could keep his hands clean. But Paul underwent a radical conversion. And to make a long story short, after he went through this conversion, he devoted his life to preaching about the idea that worshiping God and being accepted by God had nothing to do with your ethnicity or a particular set of rituals or religious practices. Instead, through Christ, everyone was invited to participate in worshiping God and everyone was accepted by God. So think about how much of a change that is for a religious zealot. Paul, at great expense to his reputation and to his livelihood, allowed himself to be open to something completely different from what he always believed. So Paul preaches this radical message in Galatia, and he establishes a church there, and then he leaves. And then after he leaves, he gets word that there are some people in the church who are described as agitators. I love that word, agitators. Sometimes we hear old words like this that we don't necessarily use anymore and we need to update them a little bit, but you probably have some very specific people in mind when you hear that word agitators, don't you? Some people in the first service actually pointed. <laughs> Well, for Paul, these agitators were people who immediately undermined his message as soon as he left. Now, remember, Paul's message was that everyone, whether they're a Jew like he was or a Gentile, everyone can worship God through Christ. And as soon as he left, there was this group that said, Yeah, that sounds good, but you still need to follow certain rules about ritual cleanliness and uncleanliness. You still have to follow certain religious laws regarding food. So let's pause for a moment and think about how offensive this would have been for Paul. Because Paul gave his entire life to embrace this new idea. But some of these people in Galatia can't open their minds to this idea for a millisecond, even though he gave up everything for it. So all of this is to say that in this letter, Paul is angry, and rightfully so. Because there are people in Galatia who are actually starting to figure out how to live and worship in harmony together as Jews and Gentiles. But then, these agitators come in. They call themselves the circumcision. Side note, if you're looking for a name for your party or faction, maybe don't choose the circumcision. But this was that group of agitators... That was going around telling everybody that if they really wanted to be pure, and if they really wanted to be in with God, and if they really wanted to be spiritual, they had to follow all the food laws and be circumcised and all sorts of other things. So we have Paul writing to address this agitation. He's writing out of love, but you can also tell by the tenor of his writing that he's writing with maybe some anger, some disappointment. Because individuals in this community that he loves are tormenting one another over rules and regulations. So Paul addresses this problem in verses 13 and 14 of our New Testament lesson. He says that what we really need to focus on, aside from all of these rules and regulations, what we really need to focus on is how to love one another well and how to serve one another well. Because all of these rules and regulations that everyone's fighting about can all be boiled down to one anyway, which is love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul says this love your neighbor as yourself thing, but he's also not naive. Because after he says this love one another thing, before anyone can even get to the second verse of Kumbaya, he follows it up with a however. And then he uses a vivid image. He says, if you continue to bite one another, be sure that you don't consume one another. I love this image because it shows very poignantly how we end up hurting one another when there's a debate or an argument or when there are factions. Because it's not the debate itself. Debate is healthy. It's not even necessarily the factions. It's the fact that all of these debates can devolve into biting one another. And maybe no one means any real harm, but let's remember that nothing is completely devoured in a single bite. It's many bites that add up over time that lead to something being completely consumed. I'm also fond of this image because it's realistic about the damage that we do to each other. One biting comment made to somebody isn't going to completely undo them, but stacked up with other comments over time, and they'll be completely devoured. I like the way the author Rob Bell puts this. He says that when we use our words, we don't inflict these major blows like we're using swords. Instead, we, when we use our words to hurt one another, it's like we're killing each other with a slow death by a thousand paper cuts. That'll stick with you, won't it? These little digs, little jabs, little bites add up over time which means we need to be very careful with our words because we don't know how many bites somebody already has taken out of them. And we don't know how close they are to being completely devoured. So sometimes we'll make a small comment to someone. Just a tiny little comment. Maybe something like, Oh, you're wearing that today. And we excuse these comments because, let's face it, they're not bad. At least I didn't just straight up say the person looked ugly. In fact, I didn't really say anything at all. I was just making a basic observation, you are wearing that today. And I followed it up with, bless your heart. (laughs) But we know what we're doing, right? We know what we're doing. And these little bites add up. And we may think that just by taking one small bite out of someone, we're actually kind of being polite because of how restrained we are. But nothing is devoured all at once. It's little bites that add up over time. My friend Kristen wrote a blog article this week about something similar, and she is the example of something she's seen several people say on Facebook recently. And if you want to find a place where people are biting each other. <laughs> but the comment goes something like this. France has raised so much money to restore the Notre Dame Cathedral, while in the United States, no money is being raised to help rebuild Puerto Rico. Is this true? Yeah, to a certain extent. Was it said with noble intentions? Maybe. (laughs) But sometimes in an effort to try to wake people up, we end up shaming them. So yes, of course, we should point out faults and corrupt systems— We should do what our baptismal vows tell us to do, which is resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. But we can do that without shaming and guilting one another, can't we? We can do that without biting one another. I think maybe some of us need to quit biting ourselves. Some of us may be punishing ourselves over something that we did years ago that nobody else even remembers, but we still bite ourselves with regret. Or I heard somebody say recently, I'm going to be a bad parent and go out tonight and get a sitter. Really? That makes you a bad parent? Why do we bite ourselves like this? Or even the very subtle one, let's be bad and order dessert. That makes you bad? Really? Why do we bite ourselves with things like this? In big ways and then in these small subtle ways, we inflict these little bites on ourselves. I got an email a few weeks ago from one of my colleagues asking if I'd be in a video that the Commission on the Status and Role of Women was putting together on women in ministry. And my first response was, I'm not exactly an expert on women in ministry. What with my being a man and all. (laughs) But I said I'd do it, and they told me that I didn't have to prepare anything, and so that was kind of a bonus. I just had to show up at the studio at the conference building in Garner. And what they ended up doing was asking males in ministry to read real comments made to our female colleagues. And they didn't tell us any of these comments ahead of time because they wanted to record our real reactions. And in total, we read about 50. I'll read some of them to you now. These are, by the way, actual comments that were made to female United Methodist pastors in our conference. So maybe to some people that you might even know. You do a good job, but I think scripture is more meaningful when read with a male voice. This is our little girl preacher. You're going to hell, you know. God doesn't permit women to preach. It's in the Bible. You better be careful eating so much. You don't want to lose that schoolgirl figure. I keep picturing you naked under your robe. If God can use a donkey, I guess he can use a woman in ministry. After reading about 50 of these, I felt devoured and they weren't even said to me. You're going to keep biting one another, says Paul. Be careful that you don't consume one another. There's a lot to be said about how destructive our words can be. And there's a lot in scripture about how destructive our words can be, and it's important to be mindful of all of this, but I think it's equally important to remember what scripture says about the opposite, which is how our words can actually be used to build people up. And you don't have to go very far into the Bible to see this in action. The very first chapter of the book of Genesis, which is the very first book in the Bible, is a poem about how God created the world. And the author doesn't say that God used God's hands. Instead, the text repeats the words, and God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. So words can bite and consume, but words can also create and restore. So sometimes when I'm wearing my clergy collar in public, people will come up to me and want to talk to me about all kinds of weird things. It doesn't happen too, too often, but I've got to tell you that every single time I've been to that Harris Teeter right at the top of the hill, every single time, without fail, somebody has pulled me aside to talk to me about something. So I wanted to get lunch a while back, and somebody in the parking lot started yelling, Pastor! Pastor! And I thought to myself, I swear, this is the last time I wear my collar to Harris Teeter. But the guy said, I need to tell you something. You were doing a funeral a few years ago, and during communion, I remember you were serving me, and you looked at me straight in the eye, and you said, and then the guy started getting choked up, and he started crying, and then he continued, you said, brother, this is the body of Christ broken for you. You called me brother, and it meant so much to me. Now, do you want to know what's really beautiful about this story? I've never served communion during a funeral. (laughs) So I totally wasn't the guy who said this to this guy. But look, that's the creative and restorative power of words, isn't it? They're more powerful than the speaker. So much so that sometimes the speaker may even be incidental. So look, no one needs any more bites taken out of them. Especially in a religious setting. No one needs any more bites taken out of them. Because there are some of us who may be just a few bites away from being completely devoured. What we really need, and what's very much within our power to do very simply... What we need to do is to offer words of healing and restoration. Thank you. I love you. I forgive you. I'm sorry. I'm here for you. Don't treat these words as simple ways to be polite to someone else. They're more powerful than that. They actually create new realities for people who've had one too many bites taken out of them. Amen? Amen?